Hi, and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 63, Planet Earth on Red Alert. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors, and expert guests to discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get to a medical school. I'm Pat, I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, and I'm also a medical student at Anglia Ruskin University. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by our regular panelists, Declan and Lily. Declan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Declan. I'm a current ophthalmology trainee up in Newcastle at the moment, and I'm looking forward to having some good chats about this important topic. Yeah, great to have you with us. And Lily, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, um, I'm Lily. I'm a final year medical student in East London, which I say every time, then it's getting a bit boring, but I'm still a medical student. I'm still in East London, and I'm <laughs> not sure I'll ever leave. So, here we are. <laughs> Glad to have you with us. <laughs> and I'm also excited to introduce our expert guest today, Dr. Anna Moore. Anna, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, yes, please. So I, um, well, my, I'm a registrar in respiratory medicine, also in East London. Hi, Lily. That's where I know your name from. I think we've actually met before. <laughs> I think we have, yeah. now, that we're, now that you said that. Um, so I'm also an education fellow at the Royal London Hospital, um, which is why I also might have met you. Um, and this year, I'm also the uh, HE Population Health Fellow for um, Lewisham and Greenwich Trust. So there's a, a programme across the, the country, it's about 25 fellows, and so I'm part of that as well. And just finally, I'm also the Vice Chair of Green Advance Health, um, which is a staff sustainability organisation, so having a great time doing sustainable healthcare in East London, hopefully. So by the time this episode comes out, it will mark the end of the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference or the parties, also known as COP26, where leaders come together to make a plan that tackles the imminent threat of climate change. So health is intricately linked with climate change. We may look after patients who will be affected by climate change like air pollution. But paradoxically, we also prescribe medicines that carry a big carbon footprint, as well as produce extortionate amount of waste like PPE. And it's only fairly recently that I learned about meter dose inhalers that we prescribe to patients with asthma could be a source of greenhouse gases if not used correctly. So Declan and Lily, how much were you taught at medical school about climate and health? So for me, absolutely nothing. Um, I can't think of a single single lecture that would have even made that consideration. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a really important and you know incredibly impactful problem that we have in healthcare, but is completely absent from any sort of curriculum that we have. Um, I was part of kind of a, a society um, at my university which tried to promote kind of you know. Um, it was mainly led by medical students, but also just part of the university as a whole. Um, but unless you're kind of actively engaging, you really have no exposure to it whatsoever. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think BARTS is getting a lot better. The impression I get is that every year it seems to increase in the BARTS curriculum. For my, for my years, I remember we had a lecture about asthma. We had a PBL about that girl that died of asthma and mm. the, all the pollution about that. Um and looking at the levels of pollution on Whitechapel Road. I remember that lecture really distinctly. And then I also remember in our Global Health Week, actually it might have been you, Anna, we had some lectures about, we are, they were online, what was it about? It was about like sustainability. I think you spoke about the Bart's, green at Bart's Health stuff. And then it was a bit about like walking groups. So I think actually, not awful, definitely better than Declan. I think it increases every year for us. Like I get the impression from younger years that they get more than we got. Um, so kind of like dipped toe in, maybe more than that, maybe like 
up to the calf, like a sexy dip of a calf. <laughs> I mean, this may well just be me showing my age. I'm, you know, two and a bit years into being qualified now. So hopefully things have been improving, Gailey. Um, and when I was in med school, it wasn't really discussed. I guess it probably also depends where you go, doesn't it, massively on, you know, how, I mean, how Anna's been doing her work at Boss, I'm sure, you know, that's takes a particular person to kind of drive that change, I think. Um, mm. So I think it's, it, you know, we need to find a way to, to make it a bit more universal and standardised, probably by getting it into the, formally into the curriculum, I think. Yeah, it's definitely interesting you pointed out that uh, um, medical curriculum curriculum is changing depending on what the needs um, that are presenting in our society. So Anna, you work as a respiratory doctor as well as a medical educator. What are the gaps in the curriculum that you're noticing? So I think, as you've identified, there are big gaps, aren't there? And I think it's the appreciation of the importance and the kind of centralness that it is, that it kind of plays in in what we do in healthcare and and health generally, that's that's missing. So I think traditionally we've seen it as it's important to know and therefore it will go into the curriculum at some point so for example Lily what you're talking about um last year we we were involved in the global health week and we taught climate and health sessions so we did that um but as you say apart from the other session that you had um linking air pollution explicitly those are the two things you remember in now nearly five years of medical school so if we see it as a standalone subject then that's what it will be um but I think we need to start seeing it as in everything and for that to happen we need to kind of understand it in a slightly different way so um you know you don't get away with any weeks in medical school not knowing about or not thinking about a full blood count for example or you know your use and ease because it's through everything right it's, it's everything that we do it's it's there um or you know physiology is just there all the time um and I think that that kind of approach needs to be taken probably in terms of thinking about where our health is situated globally and and plant in in the whole planet so an example is we we were teaching um i was involved in some of the imt simulation training last week and we had um a group of people they'd just done a a simulation scenario based on a woman with a inferior mi so she came in with her inferior mi and then she's very bradycardic and it turns out she's in complete heart block from her heart attack and the, the outcome of the simulation is supposed to be that you learn how to use the pacemaker machine and you refer her to the cardiologist to get her pci and that's normally where it finishes and i thought well let's hold on let's just have a look at this because i'm doing this population health stuff and because i've thought a little bit more about planetary health why did this woman come into hospital and they looked at me and were like because well, she's got an inferior mi okay well why did she have an inferior mi um because she's got high cholesterol she's hypertensive she smokes she's obese she's got diabetes but why has she got high cholesterol hypertension diabetes obesity and she why and they went oh <laughs> and so then we had a really interesting discussion about well why do people smoke or because maybe the people around them smoke and maybe there's lots of reasons for that and actually doesn't really make very much sense in terms of health but it's a, it's a clear problem well why is she obese oh well i wonder about diet and 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 do why why do you think that might be why why this person with all these things and she said, well, they said, well, maybe I think about her occupation. Or oh, what was her occupation? And it was written in the scenario. And they said, oh, I didn't ask. Because you don't see, we don't teach it as part of the kind of core thing. And this actually, the scenario was written that this lady is a dinner lady. Um, and actually, that means that she's in a very specific socio, potentially in a very specific socioeconomic group. She's not going to earn lots of money being a dinner mm-hmm. lady. And then immediately the conversation was, oh, gosh, well, she really will have struggled to buy healthy food because it's much more expensive, isn't it? I wonder what that's got to do with it. And then... And she's probably really going to be one of those people who may be, who may, may be suffering from the loss of the 20, 
pounds a week um, universal credit. I, I wonder when why is that happening? And we got to the point that this is a political choice that has been made. And immediately we're into policy after this kind of. I mean, it took about five minutes, seven minutes to get to that conversation. Um, and it's it's there that we need to kind of be be putting all these kind of these considerations in. And it's not it's not in there in most curriculum <laughs> curricula. It's 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 in it's in kind of what we learn about the drugs t- to treat the diabetes. We don't learn really genuinely really deeply about why people have diabetes that was great i think you pointed out um you know uh climate change kind of exacerbates those socio-political determinants of health and like you know as future doctors we we need to kind of know that uh, what caused them to have diabetes or heart block in the first place as you said could be those socio-political determinants and they could be affected by climate change um and i guess um and how would climate change, uh, you know, affect our medical medical curriculum? Do you think? Um, so, say for example, I work as a clinical coder at a GP practice, and I read letters between GP and secondary care. And one of the letters I read, um, which is a referral letter from a nephrologist, and it was saying how, oh, you may want to reduce your on your diuretics because the because the weather is hot. So, just wondering if you have any thoughts on how the changing climate could affect how we practice medicine in the future. Yeah, so I think this is a massive, um, a massive part of, of what we need to do when we're reviewing the curriculum. And I know lots of people are currently. I think um, hot weather preparedness is needs to be. I don't, I don't know, guys. Have you ever? I was never taught about what we do with hot weather. I have I've never heard that phrase. <laughs> I might have just made it up just then. But like being ready for heat waves. <laughs> so in twenty in twenty twenty, any ideas who how many people died in the twenty twenty heat wave? These are excess deaths. Government statistics. This is, is that in the UK? I'm so bad in the UK alone. I'm going to guess 400. I'm going to go 20,000 just because <gasps> I have no idea. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I now sound like a climate change denier. I'm not a climate change denier. I just can't <laughs> guess. No, you numbers. don't sound like a climate change <laughs> it's, it's two and a half thousand in so those, I was in technically those couple closer. of weeks. Oh, wow. you, yeah. yeah. You are. That's true. Well done. done. (laughs) To be to be commended. So so it's a real threat, and we don't learn that. We don't learn that heat kills. Mm. We learn that cold kills, and we know that in the winter people are sicker. But but it's it's at both ends of the spectrum, and actually it 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 picks up after twenty degrees. So the the people number of people dying, and it's multifactorial. So it's um it's not just physiological heat stress. It's also uh, mental health, mental ill health um, increases, and um, violence increases when it's hot. Mm-hmm. So so there's loads and loads of reasons for that. Yeah, I, I think it's all incredibly interesting. I think you know I think what you've been doing with the medical curriculum and what you've been seeing is you know that is how we should manage health and you know to some extent that is how I try to manage health in my capacity as a single doctor um I don't want to steer kind of the conversation in another direction too much but I think I guess a real challenge is when you're a doctor in practice I feel like we do kind of individualize how we care for patients so I've worked in an A&E department you know the principle is get them in to somewhere as quick as possible and then you never hear from the patient again I don't know if you feel like there needs to be kind of a, I guess, a change to the structure of the system, really, so that we can kind of prepare, kind of give more kind of comprehensive um, and, I guess, holistic care between teams. And then also, I guess, between professionals as well. Like, it's all great if, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to say doctors are the most motivated to make this change. But, you know, I think medical students tend to be quite aware, quite educated. I think kind of trying to get this through to other teams, managers who have other priorities 
is really where the change is going to have to be done practically. I just don't know what, what are your thoughts on that and how you can kind of actually implement this into true practice. You, yeah, let's bring it. Let's yeah, bring it back to kind of what, what we're actually doing. And I think um, so. Interestingly, my our experience at Bart's Health, and that might just be kind of local, is that mm. we have had many more requests from the non-clinical teams, from the management and strategy oh, really? team, improvement team, uh, QI team, for talks on this than we have mm. from clinical teams. So. Mm. Do you so, think that may be a fine? Is that potentially a financial incentive? Because I mean, if you if you make you know sustainable changes, it's it's most likely going to be long term financially um, beneficial for them. Is is that their motive? So I don't know about the motive in terms of finance, but I but on that, uh, have you come across the triple bottom line, which is a concept developed? No, by... I haven't. So the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare have been around for. Uh, ages, 15 years maybe, since 2008 at least I think. Um, Frances Mortimer is the uh, medical director there and she wrote this, she kind of came up with this and with colleagues, um, idea that uh, the sustainable way of doing I mean there's a a model for sustainable quality improvement so using quality improvement methodology but but applying sustainability principles to it so uh, you you have this equation which is called the triple bottom line so the, so the, the value is measured in financial value obviously always um but also sustainability value so environmental impacts or benefits and also social value so each one is of equal value with with value kind of on the on the top so that we know as you say Declan it's mostly things that kind of save carbon and save resources save money as well but also potentially most of those projects will also be better for for people and or if they're not that needs to be balanced that needs to be considered so what I kind of I really like saying is that sustainable healthcare is nearly always equitable healthcare because if you're doing it if you're if you're going to get the best out of or the most out of your kind of resources you're going to be doing the most sensible thing with it and Every time someone talks about equity in healthcare, I say, well, that is sustainable healthcare. Most, you know, and, and it turns out when we're talking to the, the strategy team that they've done projects and they go, oh, we just didn't realise it was a sustainable project. And yes, it is. Because, like, for example, them trying to make uh, access to blood tests more local to people rather than coming all the way into the hospital, that's a sustainable healthcare project because they're not going to be going so far and like, using the miles. So as well as it's better for the, socially for those people because they're not having to spend entire days travelling to, to the hospital. So I think that's a really important point. And I think the strategists or the kind of bigger thinkers get that because they see they're kind of maybe the longer term picture. And I, I know like there's lots of other kind of political reasons why it might be harder um, to, to do sustainable healthcare as a as I I think I understand what you mean um but I think the clinicians because they're up against it all the time and it's so hard to zoom out and away from those patients that are right in front of you who have their outcomes that are you know today (laughs) um actually those clinicians are 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 harder sometimes harder to get on board can I ask a question do you think complete actual change is possible without what am I trying to say in a political system where which is obviously geared towards keeping certain people in power certain people with a lot of money and other people almost everyone else with no power and no money will we ever actually make the changes we need to make like big enough changes if that political system is constantly going to be against this like tide there's so many examples I mean cop at the moment like who who's represented at cop 
I was just saying all the time that yeah, people exactly. people of colour can't get into the spaces that yeah. they need or, or aren't or aren't represented. So it's it's happening right now. Yeah. Um on a big scale, the global scale. And I think you're right that um on a national scale it's it's going to keep happening. There are all sorts of so that so one of the kind of uh ways we try and demonstrate or kind of like explain what's going on with the climate and health crisis as a circle because it's a vicious circle right yeah. so if you if you are exposed to air pollution or heat waves or flooding or vector-borne diseases which are unlikely without with a different level of carbon dioxide in the air um it's going to make you ill and you're going to go to hospital and you're going to use um resources which is going to add carbon dioxide to the atmosphere and air pollutants and use waste uh, produce waste and use water and put medicines into the sea and contribute to antimicrobial resistance and all, all the things um but those things are made worse because actually it's not just those bits of of health that are impacted um the, those aren't just the determinants of health the other determinants of health are poverty employment education all those things but then also commercial interests so mcdonald's <laughs> has made a lot of people very ill right and their business model is to sell unhealthy food to a lot of people like that's just it's just an illness generating machine um and and as you say lily there are people with power and money who are holding on to those things so i think yeah system-wide changes we we do need it but how are we going to achieve it and like is there a way another example of this kind of more more closer to kind of what you're saying Declan is, is the use of uh, or choice of inhalers as you mentioned Pat so why is it that we're still prescribing MDIs why is it that we started so MDI prescription went up since 2007 something like that it's gone up so we used to use more DPIs dry powder inhalers now we're using we the it's increased because of cost reasons but those companies exist to make money so and there are really interesting discourses about switching. So if you get people, there's a really interesting conversation going on in respiratory at the moment about switching people to DPI. So some people say, look, the difference, as Pat says, between um, the carbon uh, the carbon content of a MDI inhaler and a DPI inhaler is 171 miles in a petrol car. So one, <laughs> one little blue inhaler wow. that we hand out like smarties, right? is the same as driving to to Sheffield and cars some some maybe not quite so bad it depends on your propellant gas but DPIs don't have any propellant gas in them at all because they're actuated by the breath and what's so crazy about the situation is that DPIs are much easier to use because you don't have to coordinate you know we all do that thing where we're taught how to like teach someone to use an MDI and I can remember at medical school the person going none of you have passed the test like on ourselves <laughs> like, let alone trying to teach anybody else like none of us knew how to use an MDI we're useless they're really hard to use and then we give them to our patients and say I'll use that god knows what's what's happening to it I'll be on the roof of the mouth or that classic one with um where she sprayed it on yeah. her neck in, in house <laughs> um, and and each puff of those is a is a huge greenhouse burden greenhouse gas burden so um but but this conversation is being is being shaped, I think, by the interests of the pharma companies who want to carry on selling DPIs, and has and has been shaped by financial interests because the increase the MDIs have increased over time because of cost reasons. So we've so we've we've uh, we've increased the number of people using an inhaler that most people can't use, which has a hundred, five hundred, whatever times the num- the amount of greenhouse gas potential in it than 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 an inhaler that's easier to use. And now we're saying no, 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 you can't change people from MDIs because you might upset their their asthma control. 
so uh, mm-hmm. even though it's even though MDRs are much harder to use so I think there's like there's it's the other thing with planetary health education sustainable healthcare education is it forces you to ask quick questions it forces you to to critically appraise and think about what is our system who is making these decisions why the reasons for that and what the alternatives are and and I do think if you get planetary health into the undergraduate curriculum across it then part of that is understanding complexity and understanding critical thinking and systems thinking and really starting to kind of to be to to be conscious and I think as junior doctors you, you know Declan is an F1 you do what you're told <laughs> it is do- <laughs> and I think that's a problem with our system I think that's really really interesting I think it's also interesting that you mentioned kind of about co-creation um because I guess what we're talking about is you know you know medical students doctors knowing this but we're not the experts in this in this area I also think it'd be interesting in terms of co-creating with patients just yes, as you were absolutely. kind of talking about um you know meter dose inhalers versus dry powder I reckon if you went to most people in the UK and said this is the situation you know list the stats that you said say what the price difference is what would you prefer I think most would be like that's an absolutely ridiculous thing to do and we're basically making decisions about their health and also about the climate without their involvement whatsoever. And I guess it, I feel like it's a little bit ignorant to assume that we're better, we know more about this than, than the public. I think mm. if, if they had some impact and were actually aware about the decisions that, were make, that we were making for their health, I think they'd object quite significantly to, some, to what you just talked about. So I think co-creation seems really, really important in this, in bringing this into, into the curriculum. Uh, vital. And... And also being aware then of the of those in your back to the social determinants, being aware of the different groups and what's right for one group or one person may well not be right for another person. So this is a big theme in in population health that you can't just come in and say, uh, okay, guys, this is your this is our new like project for health in this area. If you haven't asked people what they want and what they need, so I think that's a that's a kind of really. Declan, exactly as you say and I think we the other part of this is that we I know medical schools try and teach it I know Barts does patients of people but you don't see it modeled very well we still talk about the fractured hip in bed 17 or whatever it is you know like it still happens yeah I think what you're saying that is kind of um we, that there needs to be a systemic change to our curriculum and also our healthcare system to kind of push um, change forward and I think um, as healthcare workers or health, uh, medical students we're in a privileged position to make change so um, there are some medical students who are quite active in climate activism uh, you know trying to push that change forward so um, we'll hear from medical students who are active in climate activism but that'll be right after this Indemnity You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £183. That's the average student weekly spend. 
just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. So some of you may know groups such as, you know, Doctors for Extinction Rebellion, who are a collective of doctors who, you know, appreciate climate change as an impending public health problem and have decided to undertake civil disobedience um, to really highlight that problem. So uh, I spoke to a medical student, uh, Rhiannon Osborne, who has been really active in climate activism. And I asked her why she goes on protests and why she thinks that is a risk worth taking. Yeah, so um, I think kind of personally, I really love doing things like protests and direct actions because I think as as incredibly important as it is, don't get me wrong, to email your MP and do Zoom calls and stuff, and I do an awful lot of that, it is also nice to get out on the streets and do some chanting. It's it's a really fun day. Like, it sounds really weird when you're protesting something so horrible, but protests are normally, like, quite a fun day out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of connect with people, and it's really lovely. Um, but in terms of how effective I, it is, I mean... Um, non-violent direct action and direct action more generally has been historically proven to be one of the most if not the most effective tactics um for big system change um so and i think that's just the reality of the situation that we're in and the reality of the the scale of the crisis and also the reality of the lack of response to that crisis and i think one of the reasons why protests are so important is as a form of holding people accountable because you know a lot of the time people say, oh, yeah, no, we care about climate change, but they don't really care. Like the government is about to approve a new oil field off the coast of Shetland while saying that they care about net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's really important to to show how disgruntled people are with that and how unhappy we are with that. And in the uh, the protest that I went to, um, that I think you're referring to, um, was in September I went with um, a group called Doctors for Extinction Rebellion Um, I don't normally do that much stuff with Extinction Rebellion but this thing really appealed to me Um, and so it was a protest outside JP Morgan who are the world's biggest funder of fossil fuels Um, and it was a protest of healthcare professionals um, demanding that they stop their investment in fossil fuels and I think this particular protest is really key, right? Because we talk about climate change as if it's just something that is happening because of emissions and, oh, that's a shame, you know, rather than, no, these emissions are being very deliberately produced by companies who knew that they would cause the climate crisis and who hid that information and by banks who are making a lot of money off financing these fossil fuels um, and they don't really care about the human consequences of that otherwise they would be stopping them so I think um, that protest in particular was was really important because you know there are there are names and addresses of the people who are financing the mass suffering that is the that is the climate crisis so yeah I think it's really important not to not to let it all get too sanitized and everyone be too polite to each other when 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 the world is the way it is yeah there's uh, plenty of space to not be too polite I think. And I think uh, going back to, um, you said joining a movement. Um, And as we're um, kind of healthcare professionals in training and you are towards the end of your training, um, Mm -hmm. we also get, um, say, monitored by, you know, GMC and things like that. So when you go on these protests, do you ever think about what if I get into trouble with the GMC? Because like, you know, on social media, you can see 
um, like people getting arrested for uh, occupying a space, etc. Yeah, um, yeah. So I've not been arrested at protests, so I can't um, speak to that in particular. Um, but I don't worry about it um, too much because it's absolutely the right thing to do. <laughs> like, there's almost no point in me spending six years of my life training to be a doctor when millions of people are going to die or become refugees mm-hmm. because of the climate crisis. But it's not also not just that we're fighting against the impacts of the climate crisis but it's also all of the systems that are causing it as well are also killing our patients you know so even if it wasn't causing the climate crisis the burning of fossil fuels is killing people right so even before you take into account the impact of greenhouse gases the air pollution that's caused by fossil fuels but also the direct violence that say like communities in the niger delta in nigeria face because of the extraction of fossil fuels you know that that is killing people so um I think it's kind of it's two ways where we're working to um, prevent or reduce the impact of the of the climate crisis. Um, But also we're working to stop activities which are not good for us in the first place and not good for our patients in the first place. Um, And tackling climate change like meaningfully and equitably is a huge opportunity to actually improve people's health as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there are so many benefits that come from things like accessible public transport, more sustainable food systems, um, having more people involved in nature in their local community, all that kind of stuff is great. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I always feel like if I ever got into trouble, I would have a pretty strong case to say that it wasn't it wasn't fair that I was um, in any trouble and I've not been any tr- in any trouble so far. Yeah, so Rhiannon mentioned why she got into protest and, you know, how can you be apolitical when we're looking out of people who are directly affected by politics? So, um, yeah, what do you guys think about that? I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, I have often been, I don't know what the word is, but kind of, anyway, I'm quite outspoken and most of my medical school life have kind of caused sometimes some arguments and made, lost some friends, not some friends, I've not made some friends based on the fact that I can get very angry about this sort of thing. And I find it really frustrating Mm -hmm. that so many medical students are just completely apolitical, don't think it's relevant to them. I actually find it really selfish. I think at one point I was like, oh, well, Pete, not everyone's engaged in politics. And that is that obviously there are some people who actually just hasn't touched them, the way they've been brought up, it just hasn't been something that's occurred to them. Um, But actually medical students, the vast majority of medical students, at least that I come into contact with, at least at Bart's, are educated, privileged, very wealthy people who I just know have come into contact with it and they just ignore it. And they will meet patients every day, especially in GP, I think. You meet patients who are mm-hmm. just living in the most awful circumstances, which if you denied the political etiology of that situation, you'd, you'd actually just be stupid. And I think people still turn like their face away. And I think the same thing happens with the climate, which obviously is not separate, like not separatable from... Um, politics but it's like another thing that people just have decided to kind of pretend isn't relevant to them and isn't a problem um so I think Rhiannon's amazing I think if she listens to something sound a bit like a super fan but I adore her on Twitter um I think she's so great I think we need more people like her who are kind of showing how to be an activist as well as a medical student and being very brave about it yeah uh, I absolutely agree um I think it is difficult though because 
I think we do have to acknowledge that some people are kind of concerned about causing a ruckus and, you know, negatively affecting them. I think, you know, I, I have also been that person in my friendship group where I've pissed people off for, you know, being being a bit excessively passionate about things that I think are important to me. Um, you know, I think I think encouragement is kind of the is is the approach rather than, you know, you're stupid if you're not out on this on the on the streets <laughs> causing a ruckus because you know, even even personally, you know, I, I come from a kind of council estate. I want to buy my parents' house at some point. So the concern that me getting arrested would then make me lose my GMC license for something that I've, mm. you know, worked 10, over 10 years for, which is depressingly long because that makes me feel old. Um, but I think I think we do have to acknowledge those concerns. Um, mm. And rather than, you know, sometimes shouting too loud is not the is not the best approach, but rather encourage people to, you know, do do their bit, you know, go on social media and post some, you know, some posts about, you know, a protest that go, that's going on, whether you're going to attend or not, you know, at least that's something. And, you know, similarly, I don't think we can expect every porter, nurse, um, you know, whatever from that, that we work with. But I think it's kind of encouragement rather than, I mean, for me anyway, I think the best way is, to, to get more people on involved is encourage them rather than sometimes shouting in the face too much. I don't know if that's a controversial opinion. No, I think, that, I think that is true. I think, <laughs> I agree. I think students need to decide what sort of action is appropriate and relevant to them. So I'm, I'm definitely not saying that every medical student needs to be at a protest, especially if they don't yeah. think it's safe for them, um, which actually mm. protests aren't safe for everyone. That is, as Rhiannon mentioned, is the reality um yeah but I think even just doing even just caring a little bit I think I'm the reason I get so angry is you just meet medical students who don't care there's the students you're talking about the students who do care and aren't able to do something that I think is a completely different Mm. ballpark I accept that that is a reality for so many students um but we also just have students who don't care because they don't have to and that is I think yeah yeah Mm. absolutely again kind of coming from my background and going in the world of medicine um it's a it's an eye-opening experience Mm. to see how privileged some people are and how ignorant they are too um but you know you can only shower those people for so much and they may well not take it on board Mm. but it's I guess encouraging the ones who care enough but you know may also be a little bit apprehensive about taking such Mm. significant steps like a, a protest or something you're the good cop and I'll be the bad cop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying, I guess I, I feel like I'm trying to be political. Yeah. Yeah, you sound so lovely. I sound really mean now. But yeah, maybe you need both approaches. Just wait till you meet me in real person. <laughs> but isn't this where the education element of this is really important? Because Absolutely. actually, I think what you're saying, Lily, is that those people it's unlikely that they can't care because they're med that you'd think so falling into that falling into that (laughs) trap of all doctors are good people because so so david pension talks about oh well doctors haven't acted on climate because they think they're doing a a good job already and they and they're doing a good a good thing for humanity and so therefore they're off the hook so i think we're yeah edging towards that but but also i think we genuinely don't educate people about this it's not we've as we've discussed it's not in the curriculum and, and those kind of links are not laid out for us to understand i got through the whole of medical school without understanding it and i can remember sitting in the wards as an sho thinking god there's a huge amount of plastic oh well it's got to be um and no at no point did i think oh well it should be different um and so i think there's there's quite that's where the education is but but Declan, it's got to be safe and inclusive and participatory, hasn't it? And I think that's where this this whole kind of this line, it's not that easy to tread, certainly with, with protests, but with, with action on 
all of these things it's that's why we have to ask people what what they think i'm, I'm not very good at asking people i just tell them yeah, <laughs> but, um, i'm telling you that i think that it's really important to ask people <laughs> do we know of many students or even doctors who have got in trouble with their career because of protesting there, there have been a couple i actually know one of them who went to who had a mm. And it was it was for something quite um, it wasn't it wasn't quite a protest thing, but he he was using the fact that he was a doctor and wanted to protest about the climate crisis. But then there was I think somebody went to prison, or there was a hunger strike for her, or something like that. Um, that was really important. And and I really liked Rhiannon's because Rhiannon basically said everything that we'd said. She's great. <laughs> she got it all in there in, in much less time. But um, she had she was talking about. Um, the the groups wasn't she and the kind of you know those people have taken those actions because they because it's safe for them to do so but also because usually they're in a group of people who who have have done this so I've I've done some XR stuff I've been involved more as a mum so my baby my last baby was born in um, August 2019 so she was five weeks old when the October rebellion started and we did feed-ins and a bit of road blocking and and but I did that because I had a group of supportive people who felt the same about the climate crisis had young children understood the system was part of and they were part of xr which was a big big group but um and i'm not certainly saying that everyone needs to join xr but but the kind of the groups that we have at the moment so greener practice is a fantastic group that does so much is really active and it's about finding permission because a lot of a lot of, I think, certainly I felt very isolated as someone who's really interested in climate change. And I would say the word climate change to somebody at work and then go, it's nothing to do with what we're doing. Shush, you hippie, you tree hugger, like all this kind of stuff. Um, but now that but there are groups, now, but like it gives, it gives you permission to act because it's very difficult to act on your own, especially in the kind of face of what we've talked about, which is these, pre- these huge pressures to do the thing that's bad for the climate. Like, and Rhiannon brought up the... The things that are making us ill are the things that make the climate ill. So we talked about McDonald's and cars, like those things make us ill, but also directly have their own um, emissions. So I think, yeah, it's all of the things that she said was was so valid. No, that, that's great. Um, and I think, um, so the NHS is set to be the first uh, net zero health service by 2045. And also the GMC has listed sustainable healthcare as one of the outcomes for graduates in 2018. So you know, it's clearly important for medical students to know <clears throat> what we need to be um, talking about um, in terms of the role of ecological and environmental factors influencing health and also discussing ways to mitigate their effects. But um, we'll continue discussing a little bit more what med- medical students can do, but they'll be right after this. As you take on additional responsibility for your patient's care, UpToDate can be your trusted personal medical consultant. UpToDate is an online, continuously updated clinical decision support resource used by doctors, medical students and doctors in training worldwide to access current, evidence-based information at the point of care. Doctors at all levels of experience rely on UpToDate for trusted answers to their clinical questions. See how UpToDate can benefit your training and subscribe today by visiting go.uptodate.com sharp. That's gold.uptodate.com slash sharp and use promo code sharp to save 25 US dollars on your annual or longer subscription. Some of life's most important questions are about health. And when people think about healthcare, they think about doctors, scans, tests and treatments. 
At Siemens Health & Ears, we think about those too. With about 70% of clinical decisions based on laboratory test results, staying on top of the latest advances in clinical chemistry is essential to providing the best care. This November, Siemens Health & Ears has free online educational sessions to help you learn about relevant advances in clinical diagnostics. Register for free today to explore sessions featuring new research and innovations in cardiac care, blood diseases and AI, and create an agenda for live streaming events. Visit siemens-healthandears.com slash euromedlab or Google Siemens Health & Ears Euromedlab. We pioneer breakthroughs in healthcare for everyone, everywhere. Okay, back to the show. Um, yeah, so we mentioned that medical students and as future doctors, we will be tackling this climate crisis. So, Anna, what are some of the things that you think medical students can start doing when going on placements or just in their daily lives? Ooh, uh, okay, so one way of structuring this is to think about personal, professional, political um, kind of levels of action. So the personal levels of action, what you do in your private life and your, your personal life um, has massive uh, effects. And I think this um, this whole discourse has been pushed by uh, the fossil fuel companies, haven't they, who invented the idea of your personal carbon footprint, you know this? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's a bit of a problem. Oh, um, makes you feel guilty for uh, eating the chocolate, but also doesn't make it, or, you know, like eating a plastic wrapped chocolate bar, but doesn't make it easy for mm. you to get something that isn't. So, um, so they, I mean, we, we know the actions that we can take. So switching our energy bills, uh, in my case, having one less child, um, which is, <laughs> I missed that boat. Um, avoiding car, apparently switching, being car free is one of the biggest um, things you can do. And I think with all these like individual actions, so switching to, to non-dairy milk, you know, all, the, all those things that people tend to know already, the, the other thing with those is that most of those have co-benefits in terms of health. So if you are getting rid of your car, then you're walking more, you're usually exposed to less air pollution anyway outside the car mm. um, and you're definitely generating less air pollution and you're making yourself healthier because you're um, taking part in physical activity, all of which downstream has the consequences of you requiring less healthcare um, in the future. So that, so that all of those things are co-benefits. And I think we should, when we're talking to patients about that, um, I don't, I mean, I've, I have on occasion brought up uh, kind of carbon footprints stuff with patients. I've certainly brought up air pollution. Um, and I think it's valid to do that. But to say that this is primarily to do with your health and secondarily, it's actually really, really good for the climate. And lots of people are worried about the climate. So I think we can we can do that in our clinical practice. Um, so professionally, on placement, there's so much, isn't there? I think probably being eyes and ears, actually, be looking at something, looking at that system, really observing it. I didn't do this as much. I was a terrible medical student. I just used to kind of probably come in about 10 minutes late and not really concentrate and not really have any idea what was going on. I didn't ask any questions. Uh, and then I went home. I didn't know how to prescribe paracetamol on my first day as an F1. It was a bit embarrassing. Um, and so, like, but I think you guys are not like that. None of the medical students I've taught about have been like that. I've, all, I've all been really blown away by the kind of like level of engagement. And and I think you can take that opportunity to, to look at what's going on, look at those relationships. Um, and then also students can get involved in QI projects. So our SS, we ran an SSC for um, first and second year medical students and we, we invited them to kind of plan an SS, uh, SOS, SOS QI. So that's back to the triple bottom line. 
have a look at what's going on. What are those systems that are happening? Is there a huge amount of MDIs being prescribed? Is there something that we could do that kind of could make a difference? And with the climate crisis, I think one of the biggest kind of, they've they've done so much work, those fossil fuel companies, to stop people talking about it, to stop caring about it, and even even to stigmatize and make a taboo of chatting about climate crisis it's just completely systemic that we're just it's not allowed to to talk about it but we can change that and we can do it so as medical students you're trusted and I think we need to recognize that but we're also really trusted messengers and and people really do kind of people are prepared to have conversations with with people and if you if you bring that up then you can do that and it's with staff it's with patients it's with colleagues it's with friends you know anybody um so yeah I would I'd probably start with those two things um and then get involved in SASQI projects join your society like Declan's talking about there was a society at medical school um be part of that group get the permission to do it um and there's also like virtual like things you know health declares is a is a really great organization that's doing loads of work on on um sustainable healthcare um there's doctors for xr that rihanna was talking about there's loads of groups that you can join to learn more about this and and then educate yourself like just start to find things out but demand at your medical school that you are taught Mm. because you know you know and that's great like if you if you've educated yourself but as you say lily there are lots of people who don't know um and they need to and so like we we need to have the whole cohort of people really deeply understanding the links between the climate crisis health and healthcare, um and then that'd be great that's a that's somewhere to start and then if you want to go political then we start talking about kind of protests and writing letters and and kind of like being aware of the political actions and 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 the you know i I now email my MP. I never thought I'd email my MP. But they started chopping down a tree near me and I was like, no. <laughs> I started just writing and started, like I was like, I'm I'm really boring to the council. But you know, the councils actually do have more power than you well than they say they have. Um but yeah, just taking action at a at a higher level if you're comfortable to do that and if it feels safe. So I guess uh, as we're just close to the end of uh, um this episode, uh any final thoughts? on what you'll be doing going forward. I'll be kicking up kicking up kicking up a fuss <laughs> at me um at my new at my new hospital. Because, I mean I'm I'm in a surgical specialty and there's, you know, things you you, you walk down a corridor, you walk in an operating theatre and, and you you notice so many different things that just need to be changed. So I think give myself a bit of courage to just cause a bit of a fuss and uh and bring it to the attention of, of the higher beings in in my trust. Um mm. And I think if you you know if you if you get enough people on board and you kick up enough of a fuss, I think people have to listen. I think that's also kind of a, a unique opportunity for med student as well. You know, you're you're allowed to kick up a fuss as a med student, and your medical school has to has to listen. It's, I think personally, I feel it's a little bit more difficult once you've actually qualified to kick up such a fuss because you're trying to navigate all of the complex kind of interprofessional mm-hmm. relationships. So I think being a med student, you're in a really unique position where you can kick up a fuss and people have to listen to. Yeah, I agree. While we're on, um, it's difficult to see with surgery kind of about like some of the things, but I would just go in and look at the list and go, how could this have been avoided? How could this have been avoided? Does this person need to come in here and have this operation? Like if they're, I don't know what, what specialty you do, but like there's so much of that. And we, but we, but we need to think a little bit more deeply about it than, well, clear, clearly they need surgery because they're about to die if they don't have surgery. Yeah, but well, okay. They're, they're ophthalmology, it's ophthalmology, so they're not going to die. Okay. After, <laughs> but there's an, an incredible amount of wastage. 
Yeah, there's a there was a green, very very uh, green ophthalmologist at Barts who's done fantastic projects um, mm-hmm. on on that. So, for example, identifying people who don't need general anaesthetics for their cataract operations, things like that, and loads loads, loads of stuff. Um, yeah, great. That sounds like good action. <laughs> oh, hi. Oh gosh, I feel very inspired. What I don't know what practically. I think I mean I'm, I've always had the goal of at some point going into policy with my job. That's always since my first year has kind of been what's interested me the most. So definitely a reinvigoration of that. I think I just I feel very fed up with the system. I think and I I don't know. I think mm. we just need so much change and it's happening so slowly. And obviously the people who are making the change are working so hard. And I feel very angry at the people who are at the top who just don't listen. Um, mm. So whether I can change that, I guess I can become the Prime Minister. That's probably not going to happen. Um, <laughs> on a smaller level, I mean, I actually, I'd heard about the metered dose inhaler thing, but I hadn't really properly ever really thought about it. So I think I'll have to think about that. I'm at, I'm at GP for the next couple of months, so that's quite a useful place to mm. think about that sort of thing. Especially thinking about, like Anna said, yeah, why is this person ill in the first place? Which is something I would like to think I've done most of medical school. But um, actually, maybe properly, I think I might actually have lost that a little bit in the last couple of years of just needing to kind of get through the exams. So maybe just mm. have a bit more of a think about that. And protests. I mean, I love protests. I definitely should kind of get back on that. I think I've also dropped out of that since COVID. So, yeah, loads of things. Mm. Gosh. Yeah, definitely a lot of action points. And um, yeah, any last words from you, uh, from you Anna? Or- um, other than thank you very much for having me it's been a really um, fun discussion I love the points that you bring and I think this is an example of like the value of just staying like staying chatting about it because we've all brought different like viewpoints and perspectives and I think that's been really useful certainly for me yeah, thank you Well, that's all we have time for today. If you'd like to hear more other episodes, please subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks' time, you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We are BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch. I'd love to hear your ideas or what we should cover later in the season. It's also really helpful for us if you can leave a rating and a review on wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other med students to find a show. Until then, goodbye from us. Bye. Bye. Bye.